30, sec oh, 30 to 60 seconds. Um, when you came to faith in Jesus and um, so kind of like what have the influences been on your personal development in terms of church or world and real brief? I, don't, I mean, you know, like just overview. Summarise yourself, yes. I'm Craig. Um, I have grown up in church and I can't really, really remember exactly when I became Christian. Um, I've made a few commitments throughout growing up in the church, but yeah, pretty much all my life I've lived in the church. Um, That's good. What, any particular styles of church? Um, began in Anglican church and moved into Pentecostal church when I was about 18. 18? Yeah. Okay. My name's Michael, or Mick, and um, yeah, I don't know, I feel like I was sort of always had a some sort of relationship with God, but um, maybe the more um, notable times was probably through my mum that was going to a local Anglican church, and you know, she would like pray with me and stuff, and then I started coming to Central when I was like 13, I think, um, through a mate from school, and started coming to youth, and then did the whole summer camp thing and um yeah so it was like i don't know pentecostal sort of young hip <laughs> i don't know <laughs> that kind of style um that's what drew me to it okay <laughs> lots of energy that kind of thing and luke what about luke uh i'm brian i didn't grow up in church i first walked into a church when i was about 14 or 15 I think I, I found some faith in Jesus when I was about 19 and that faith has just been growing and growing with some ups and downs, but mostly on the up. Um, I first went to a church that had girls in it, then I went to a church that had more girls in it and that was probably what got me into church. I, I was the only kid in my family, and I went to a boys' school. What do you reckon? <laughs> um, and um, look, I, I've tried all sorts of different brands, and for a long time I was um, in the Anglican church. Uh, then the Baptist church made me an offer I couldn't refuse, so I, I went to the Baptist for a while, and now I'm here. It's <laughs> good. Forgiven. Um, okay. Jumping right in to a large and good question, what do you see are the masculine qualities of God? Now, I know I, that's, a, that's an interesting question. I've been thinking about this. I have another drink. Uh, this week, I think if you were to ask me what are the feminine qualities of God, I could probably quite naturally rattle off a few things like, you know, the nurturing, the loving, the, you know, like not that they're strictly feminine or, you know, you know what I mean. I'm, but what are the masculine qualities of God? Craig, go. 
I, I find that a really hard question as well. And, and like you, if, if you were to ask me the feminine qualities of God, I, I can identify some. But I think for me, um, that the whole presumption is that God is masculine and that, that God is he, always he. So everything about God is masculine. And there's a part of me that knows that's not right. But there's another part of me that was, was immersed in that. And it's really hard to, to get my feet out of the stickiness of it. It just it hangs on. Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same. I think that it, um, I think we've kind of been given this picture of God as, as, as masculine and it's kind of lost somewhere in there. Um, what I've, been, I've sort of been learning lately uh, is that um, masculine energy, if you like, or that's what I call it, um, is in essence kind of about creativity and, and kind of planting seeds, if you like, to use a kind of agricultural sort of term for it. Um, it's the, I mean, we, we call God Father, and I think that's probably one of the kind of easiest images to kind of um, put on him. Uh, and it's probably partly maybe because that's kind of what we crave. We, we kind of crave a father uh, deep down. And, um, um, yeah, so it is it is hard. There's a lot more to that, I think. Like, but, you know. Yeah, I would also find it really hard to define. I think the first um, uh, kind of conclusion we would go to would be, yeah, to think of God and his masculinity through um, the um, ideas of masculinity and whatever culture or space that we've grown up in and with what we usually expect father figures to be. So obviously it's, you know, like, you know, strong and all that sort of stuff and hard and, you know, and it's this kind of dualistic opposite to maybe thinking of nurturing and that kind of thing and to do with um, um, feminist attributes. But, you know, and, yeah, just start, as I've started to think, you know, beyond that um, and, yeah, like, you know, what, how God reveals himself in the Bible or even, like, Jesus and, and what sort of masculinity he embodied, it becomes a lot more blurry and um, it be, you start to ask a lot more um, yeah, questions, I think. So I, I'm definitely in that transitionary process of, you know, like really just asking more questions of what God's masculinity um, looks like, but also just being open-minded to the, like, the fluidity of God himself, you know. Like it's very easy for us to sort of binarise it, you know. We say, like, oh, this is feminine stuff, this is the masculine stuff. But I think in life and in a lot of spaces it, it's often a lot more fluid and blurry than we would like to make it. And um, so it makes it a lot harder to list it off because it's not like a notebook. You know? And it's all of a sudden it's life and spirituality and it's blurry. <laughs> yeah. Um, men, men in the room, do you guys have some attributes, Luke will run around with the mic, that you feel are like these things really represent the masculinity of God? <laughs> yeah, I said that. <laughs> he protects, 
Anyone else? Matt? Yeah, I think um, for me, there's something that I love about God the most is how steady he is. Um, and I think we can often think about men as people who um, are really steady and really steadfast. And for God, he, I can rely on him so much because I know that he's the same and I know that he's steady and he doesn't change. And so for me, I think that's like, um, I mean, not to say that women can't be this, but I, but I love this about God and I see that as his masculinity of him being like a rock that doesn't shake, it doesn't fall apart, doesn't move. He's steady and upon him I can stand and be strong because of his steadiness. Wait till your father gets home. <laughs> He's coming back. <laughs> and I, I think part of the father role traditionally has been God as a judge. And I don't think we attribute that so much to the feminine role or so much to a mother figure. Um, but nevertheless, I think it's a, uh, a true attribute of God. He's loving and he's a judge. To pick that up, he's um, a God of the big ticket items. He dealt with sin in the garden. And then he dealt with sin by asking his son to die. Two very big tickets items. I wouldn't think that they were feminine things. I think of God as a safe, like a characteristic of sort of safety as well. Like I think for me, it's almost that the difference of thinking of God as father and God as dad. Like I think culturally we have this idea of father which is like very formal but also sort of this at a distant kind of thing as opposed to a God of dad who is that safe, rock, steadfast, intimate place. Um, I think that's quite, those are distinct sort of ideas for me. I think Western culture tends to try and put everybody in a little box, you know, but Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, they're, they're, they're one, so there's a flow between them. But uh, love, I think, is, is what comes to my mind. For God so loved the world, so love is a predominant thing, but, but we were created in his image, so I look at a natural father, and, and what does a father do in a family? Father is a protector to some degree, he's the authority figure to some degree, um, but he can nurture, he can cuddle, he can play with the kids on the floor, uh, I think all those aspects are father aspects of Father God. I, I think that's maybe part of the problem is that we, we're thinking in terms of our kind of understanding of what masculinity is and I think God's like way beyond that. He's integrated feminine and masculine and it's a mothering father almost like it just that's really good. It's, it's interesting, isn't it, when you start to talk like this, how quickly it gets sticky and awkward and, you know, like how do we have words to explain some of this? And that's okay. This is part of the mystery, isn't it, the mystery of our God, that he is beyond anything that we can kind of try to put words to and understand. But I still think it's quite good for us to wrestle these things through, particularly because... 
So much of who we are as people and um, who you guys are as men is informed by culture, whether, whether we're aware of it or unaware of it. And so to then be able to dissect a little bit about some of these cultural things about masculinity and stereotypes within our culture help us unpack a little bit where we might get skewed or distorted in our perceptions of God as, as father. And so it's like I know it's weird and awkward and sticky, but it's important for us to do, to wrestle some of these things through. Um, okay, so how about just I'll change tact for a little bit and then we might, we might swing back around. Um, you have all been in church for a significant period of time. Craig and Michael, you guys grew up a little bit more in church culture than you did, Brian. But I want to ask you, what did, did you learn or come across certain stereotypes that you felt church culture either verbally or non-verbally um, presented to you as what you should be as a man? What's the stereotypical Aussie Christian man? Is there one? <laughs> what were the, you know, like what were the things that you were, you thought, wow, I really felt like I had to be that? I'll just rattle off a few ideas. Like I think to frame it into one summary is kind of hard because, yeah, it just is. But, I mean, I think like for me, especially when I was young, like physically fit, I don't know, just like being like sporty and, you know, like around our churches, around Wollongong, everyone was into like surfing and all this stuff. So I think it was definitely like a few like a, like the, I don't know, like the masculine stereotype in church and, you know, for what you sort of saw had respect or something like that was like if you were like physically fit, that kind of thing. So, um, and I think also just being like, oh, it's interesting because there were, there were moments where people would say, like, oh, it's okay to cry. But the fact that they even said, hey, guys, it's okay to cry, it kind of shows that it was not expected or that wasn't on people's minds. So maybe something that's, like, a little bit more, like, you know, strong and not as vulnerable or something like that would, might be something else that comes to mind. Yeah. I, I walked into a church and the, um, the most dominant masculine characteristic was that they were all old men. You've made it, Brian. <laughs> I've stepped up to the mark. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it took me... The, the other thing that, that strikes me after now, you know, a number of years in, in various churches is that men t tend to be the authority and women tend to be the carers and nurturers. The thing that, that struck me as you were asking the question was the men who came to mind were the men who were unique and different from each other and from the vast array of men that were in church who were all old and authoritarian. Uh, men who, who um, were, they were just different in all sorts of different ways. I, I, there was nothing across them that, that held them all together. Um, and you know, that tells me that, yes, there was a stereotype there that I don't think I was aware of in much the same way as does a fish know it's wet. 
Um, but when, when these men stepped out of that and uh, treated me in ways that were, uh, you know, the, the ways of faith, the ways of nurture, the ways of fathering, the, the ways of um, being the, the strong God, the ways of discipline, uh, those blokes made an impact, whereas the others were just old men. Not that those old men weren't some of those guys who stepped forward. Uh, they were, but by and large, it was, it was those men who stood out against a background of, of old men. Um, I think I, I think I learnt how to say sorry a lot, um, and there was always an expectation that um, you would be good, that you would do the right thing, that you'd say the right things, and I think it's really easy, or it seems pretty easy, to kind of fall into a trap of not necessarily saying what you wanted to say, but um, kind of doing the right things, ticking the right boxes, um, so that you appeared to be okay. And I think um, over time that sort of erodes some of who you are um, or it erodes your ability to kind of know who you are. Um, Towing the line, you mean? Kind of yeah, in, in a way, yeah, I think so. Um, I, I also played rugby at the same time as I was going to church and no one else from church was really playing rugby. So I had, I had actually this kind of stark contrast between um, guys at, you know, on the football field and, and in the team and the guys that I knew at church and stuff. And, and in, in a lot of ways, I'd look at those guys as being actually much more um, freer to express themselves, um, to, to, to sort of share and bond with each other. Um, whereas in the church, and I, and I don't know why necessarily, but there's often a, a kind of a line between our guys. It's, there's a, a boundary put up there somewhere, I think. Um, the other thing that I, I feel like I experienced, I don't know how to kind of explain this too well, but I don't, I don't feel like um, necessarily I came across too many people that were kind of that, that mentor role that you just described, Brian, for me. There wasn't too many people like that. I can kind of think of maybe a couple, but I remember growing up always wanting just someone to mentor me, someone to kind of take me under their wing. Um, so I feel like that never really kind of happened for me in church. And I, and I felt like maybe there's, there's room uh, for the church to do a lot better in, in kind of bringing boys up into manhood and, and you know, talk a bit about initiation and stuff like that. I think there's definitely kind of room for us to do a lot better in that aspect as well. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not hearing anything particularly like big and bold as a stereotype of men. Head of, yeah, that's what I was yeah. now. I was going to ask this question. As, as I'll like not put words in your mouth, but there, I would have felt that there is a culture within Christianity where the man is the head of the house. And I'm interested in knowing how much pressure that puts on men yeah, to true. be something that's expected of them if they are meant to be. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, that, I don't know. Is that is yeah. that is that felt or is that not felt? Is that 
That's definitely felt... Actually, that's the other thing I was going to say. I remember probably when I was about... Oh, probably from about nine or ten years old, I remember being like absolutely petrified and really worried about not being able to get a job so that I could support a wife and kids and family and home. And it's just... It's not said anywhere, but I just... I, I've held that, probably still do to a certain extent, held that all the way through... And somehow I miraculously managed to get a job. That's a, who would hire me anyway? But I still sort of felt like that. That you know, I don't you don't quite meet the mark, or it's, it's scary. Yeah. Have you felt that, Brian? That head that headship thing that I need to know. I need to know on behalf of my wife and family where we're going, and I, I need to lead them in the Lord, and I need to be the one that prays. Is that is is that a thing for you? Or has it been? Uh, yes, it, it was a thing in that um, while I was in churches with, with old men, uh, that was what was, was spoken of. Now, whether those blokes were doing it or not was, was almost beside the point, but that was the story that we lived within. And I looked at that story and I looked at myself as a young bloke before I was married and thought, that's what I have to be. And then I got married and, and you know, reality struck and I thought, I am not that. Uh, I am not the, the dominant one. I am not the one who, who wants to, to be the head of the house and put my foot down and say, this is what this is. Uh, I think I tried and I think because it wasn't me, I did it really, really badly. How, yeah, how did it go? <laughs> Was he good? You agree with him? <laughs> Yeah, and, and I think I, because that was, that was the spoken thing uh, and that was what I felt I was expected to be and I couldn't be it, I carried all this stuff, all this guilt, all this disappointment in myself, all this fear of failure, all of this stuff that uh, did me no good as a person. And I think it did us no good as, as a relationship, in a relationship. It did me no good as a father. Obviously, it did no good to my kids. Uh, fortunately, they are probably tougher than I am, and, and they've come good. They're fine young men. Uh, but yes, that, that stereotype of being the man of the house with all of the, the distortions that can get caught up in that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But, but I think it's distorted, it's, it's magnified and twisted and broken. And yeah, that, that did me no end of harm. Hmm. Anyone else, any, any of you men out there, have anything to say to that stereotype of the head of the house thing and how that may have like, affected you and your thinking? Um, just was, um, in my experience, I think growing up, I grew up in church as a kid, but it was, it was, it was almost maybe opposite in some ways of what um, some of the guys were saying, maybe a bit more in line with what Craig was saying, but um, I'm not exactly sure where I got it in my head, but to be a Christian male is almost boiled down to be just a, a nice guy. And it's like, that's what, you know, you, you don't swear, you don't drink, you, you know, you're just kind of nice and, yeah, we'll have beers in church now. <laughs> but, uh, it's just this kind of like, almost like pacifist kind of uh, role. And it's... And it wasn't, I think, until I started, you know, really, you know, trying to understand, you know, what a, 
Christian male should be and can be that, you know, looking looking at Jesus, I, you know, I don't know if necessarily like nice is the right way to describe him. Like he pissed a lot of people off, and he he pushed boundaries and he he shook up establishments and he um yeah and and it was it's it's like this strength we're talking about before, but it's it's a strength that's not there to abuse others or to belittle others. It's a strength, like what some other people were saying, to, to protect and to, to, to free those that are bound. And there's a, a goodness in that strength. It's not just sitting down and being passive. And so I think, you know, different maybe Christians, churches, whatever, might take it too far either way, but it's just trying to understand what the, the right way for it to go is. So... Um, yeah, but but yeah, to, when it comes to the, the head of the house, I think I don't know if it's just the church. I think it's almost just Western society. It's kind of like you know the man's supposed to be the provider, uh, supposed to be the main breadwinner, all that that kind of stuff as well. So, um, and I know you yeah, I have you know struggled with that. I mean, I've always had a job, thank God, but it's you know I've always felt you know am I am I doing enough? Should I be you know making more? Should I be doing more with my life? You know those expectations definitely come across. But yeah, it's just interesting how that interweaves with uh, in the Christian ex, um, expectations and how it kind of compounds. Yeah, I think I agree with you, Aaron. In, in that, you know, while I'm talking about the the head of the household, that was the rhetoric, that was the story. But the reality was something completely different. And and you're right, they passive uh, and be nice, don't rock the boat, uh, be conservative, just just be there, just do what you have to do. And, and I couldn't reconcile those two things. But for me, I, I went for the story. But the story just didn't gel either. So I, I had no models and I had a story that I was uncomfortable with, which left me floundering a bit. Can I just, sorry, can I just quickly, just on that, I think I sort of touched on something there. Like one of the things that I've um, noticed and this whole like provider of the family and that kind of thing, it's, in terms of like Christian circles, like I've, I've seen it, but for me I didn't feel it because most of it was growing up as a teenager, so it was like other things. And then as I've become older, and especially in this church, I feel like there's probably more, I don't know, we ask more questions about it, and so I haven't felt the pressure. But, um, but it's just an interesting point about how sometimes we can attach um, cultural values, so particularly we're talking about Western cultural values, to like a, to a religious um, context, you know, and so... Um, at least in my Christian or experience, um, like I said, most of it's been through here, so I haven't felt a lot of it myself. And my dad, he's not one that was that sort of figure. Um, however, I did feel that maybe in some of my family on my mother's side, on the Tongan side, and particularly the, the Mormon sort of community and that kind of thing, so it's not a Christian one, but within their sort of, their communities that have been influenced by Western Mormonism, um, it would be considered a, even now a, more of like a Tongan family thing to do to be like that breadwinner and be that like strong authority figure and that kind of thing. So I haven't seen it so much in Christian spaces, but it's, it's um, definitely in other religious spaces where it becomes almost like both the Mormon thing and the Tongan thing and the male thing to do all that. And so you're like, oh, flip, well, I better do it then because there's like three major factors coming at me now that say I've got to do this. So... Um, yeah, just want to throw that in there. Yeah, so the the idea of being the do dominant partner in the relationship, 
I'm hopeless with numbers. So finance-wise, I let Gail do the whole lit bot. She's got the she's got the numbers down. She does all the finances. I've got no clue. Well, I do, but not a lot. So it's much easier f for us that she does that part of it. Um, and yeah, so that whole growing up with that. Um, so, like uh, Craig and Mike, I grew up in church all my life. Um, got. The, the dominant male um, figure was, you know, someone who was the good guy out the front, looks after his family, does all that stuff. But that, somewhere along the line, that wasn't going to work for me because I'm not that. I'm quite happy to work in partnership with my wife and let her do all the financial stuff and worry about that stuff and do all the bills. I've, if she dropped dead tomorrow, I've got problems figuring out how to pay bills. Um, so, they're, they're, fortunately my daughter has some idea, so I can rely on her. But, but understanding yourself is part of that and figuring out where you fit in that relationship and how you fit into that um, the culture that you're brought up in and the culture of church and well, yeah, all that Western stuff that we've got. It's, it's really difficult to navigate. I haven't been called Chriso for a couple of months. Thanks, Carol. <laughs> I was just thinking about how growing up in Canada with an immigrant dad who came to Canada when he was 25 from India. And, um, you know, the smaller guy. And there's just a lot of my uh, early childhood that was kind of confused about what is, you know, the quintessential man supposed to be when my dad is not aligning to those stereotypes of macho Canadian. <laughs> Can fix a car build a house in a day. No. Um, <laughs> but my dad could write really well. Anyway, so uh, it was just a. there was always, for me growing up, this tension about what, what does it mean to be a model male, not a male model, but <laughs> that, that too. But I was that, but no. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, that's right. <laughs> and no. <laughs> Yeah, so just trying to to um, to play to play to that in in friend groups and kind of try to find my find my way while having you know a different type of love coming my way through my dad who could love me the way that he could, um, but yeah, not necessarily in those ways that other dads were loving their kids through teaching them all these you know skills that you're supposed to know in that particular culture and. Um, yeah, just more to add to the pile of tension in this conversation. When I first became a Christian, um, I hunted out a few books as to how to be a good Christian man and family. And one that came my way was by Paul Farrer. 
or point man. And his argument was that the man in the family was like the person on point on a group of troops going out. It was his job to be the eyes, to actually call the situation as it was, to be responsible for all the other people. He was an equal, but he was there one taking responsibility for what was, what was going to happen next. Uh, I didn't become a Christian until well into my grown-ups. Um, so, but I definitely felt the same pressure that, you know, the man's the head of the family and blah, blah, blah. So I don't know how much of that is driven by church uh, over a general culture, so it's hard to say. Um, but definitely in, like, industry and professional life as well, it's like, you know, the, the, the male manager is the boss and underlings and things like that. And even that has swung around in, in recent years to where, uh, which is quite funny that the servant leader is a much more common model now. Diversity is much more highly <coughs> um, sought after because it's recognised that it helps. Um, yeah, not being a dictator boss, being a servant boss, like doing what you can to help your employees who can do things better than you can to, to thrive. And I think, and it's funny that, you know, Jesus, the, the servant king, um, and then the church has come out that the, the man is the boss and all that sort of thing. And that's just totally not what Jesus was like. And that is finally coming around into like management theories and things like that as well. Um, you know, it's an old idea and it's come around again. And um, that's from the, the, non, the non-Christian side of things as well. Yeah, I think um, I think that something the church has kind of done really well, well historically is somehow justify through bits of the Bible the patriarchy and the system that's been in place. And I think that we've kind of grabbed hold of bits that are in our culture and then added just like a spiritual like kick to kind of give them authority. So I like I feel like like when Carol and I got together, there was kind of this cultural thing, it's like, oh, the man's got to wear the pants, can't be under the thumb, he's um, got to be the authority figure, and he's got it. there was this thing that also then in Christian culture was like, the man's got to be the initiator. And so for me, even like in the early stages of our relationship, if it was, I remember having this real insecurity, like if Carrie suggested, oh, let's, I feel like we should pray about this, I'm like, oh, damn it, I should have been suggesting that. That was, like... It sounds so stupid, right? But that was a genuine insecurity. I was like, oh, that's my job as the initiator, as the authority figure. I've just, like, really missed, missed the ball there. I, I, I should have, like, that's something that I should have done. And she's suggested it. So that, what's that say about me? Whereas instead of celebrating the, the good and the godly in the other, um, the, our culture and then also our Christian culture actually kind of, develops this insecurity in us as males that says that we're supposed to be the all things to all people um, rather than rather than it being a, you know, alongside kind of, kind of thing. So that's been a, a real wrestle. And, um, yeah, getting to know the who actually Jesus is um, as opposed to some of those narrow views that we've had. So was this one last person? One last person. Oh, yeah.
was just going to add that, um, yeah, on that last point was just like, I think that as we see the rise of femininity being celebrated within the church, I think it actually helped free up a lot of men to be more vulnerable. So it's like this like masculine dominated or what we would think would be masculine, this authoritative kind of church politics. And then uh, and it causes, causes a lot of men to kind of just sit and do nothing because a lot of men have a lot of femininity within them. And it's like it snuffed out all that creativity. And as, as the church has come on board with, with allowing women to rise up, it's allowed the femininity to grow. And in doing so, it's actually allowed a lot of men to, to connect and be vulnerable. And so I think that just in the time that I've been in church, I've seen a lot of a rise within um, like men getting together with men and being vulnerable and being open and, and pursuing relationship, which I don't think really happened when I first started going to church. Um, when I first started going to church, it was, uh, I was in my 30s, and I, so I grew up in the world, and, and I grew up, like, my dad was other guys that I, <laughs> were my age, and so what was put into my life versus what you would have gotten in the church growing up was very different, right? What was man was going out and drinking and, you know, getting a girl, and that, that was like, you know, if you could pick up a chick, you were, you were a guy, then, then you're a man, and if you couldn't, you're not really manly, and so it was very different, but, but I quickly learned coming into the church that, that that's not manly. What's manly is to sit there and just do what you're told to do and fall in line, and you wanna, you're supposed to want to get married, and you need to, and there's all these prerequisites to be accepted as a man in church, and it was really weird how when I came in, God smacked me across the face and everyone was like, you're so on fire for God, it's amazing. And they quickly got that out of me because it was like, yeah, but as soon as I would cross the line, you could feel this thing around you go, that's not acceptable. And I often thought that it might have come out of just our, our own, as humans, our own insecurities. Because I really think that there's a line that we can cross in church that's godly, it's godly principle, and so it's supposed to be there. But then just as human beings, we come together and it's like that high school mentality of like, oh, you crossed the line because we all are very insecure and we can't handle it. And, um, and then so you start to learn. It's like, well, I, I want acceptance, right? So if I want to be accepted here, I need to do, and it's not ever really said, oh, to be accepted, you need to do these things, but you can feel it because when you cross out of that, you go, oh, I didn't, I didn't feel accepted when I did that. I'll pull that back in and I'll just... And you start to follow this kind of weird norm that, that allows you to feel accepted. And you know it because there's that one person that never cares about acceptance that does all these wacky things and everyone goes, they just don't get it, do they? And, uh, but they're freer, you know? Anyways. Yeah, I just want to, like, it's so good that, like, just thinking about church spaces, I was just like, man, there is so much in the, the non-verbal that goes on, like, in, in any community, but I think in, in church especially, like, and there's just so much that people are always picking up and vibing and, and, and feeding off and from and that kind of thing. And so it's just, like, a good thing to recognise that, you know, um, through, you know, not what we say, but just, like, you know, what we do to how we're making people feel accepted and stuff. So it's good. I think, uh, you know, to just wrap up that part of the conversation, this is what I, I would want to say. I think that... Some of that extreme of man being the head of the house and that authoritative thing that has gone on in, um, in church culture has been um, a tyranny to women and a tyranny to men. 
and it is, you know, probably in many ways oppressed women and oppressed men. And that's never the heart of God and it's not the heart of the gospel. And I think, you know, I really firmly believe that, you know, that God's heart for us is that we become whole, whole people. And um, all of us are very different. Um, women are different. Men are different. We're different from one another. We're different within our genders, all kinds of things. And, you know, I would want in our community, in our church here at Central, that there isn't, you know, a stereotype of, you know, woman that you need to be. And neither is there a stereotype of man you need to be in order to be a Christian man or to be a, you know, whatever. But we kind of have permission to blow some of those things up. And in all of our discipleship and our, and, and our growth together, that each of us become whole in who we are. And some of us are going to be natural leaders and authority people and others aren't, but we're not meant to be anything other than who we are. And so, you know, women, you need to be who you are. Men, you need to be who you are. You need to find out what is that which God has placed deepest within me that makes me come alive, that is my strength and is my wholeness and is my, you know, my beauty from God. And you need to live that out as, as glory to God for the sake of the world. And let's not allow those stereotypes to, you know, to be present in our community. And, and when we recognize them in our mind, and, you know, the, 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 the way we recognize them is usually a shame-based response like Luke talked about when he was like, I thought I should have done that. When, when we feel guilt and shame come up in who we are, it's usually a recognition that we're, we're, something's going on within us that we need to pay attention to. So um, I think, you know, that's a good, good thing to talk about. All right, just to finish, because um, we could go on for a long time, but we won't. Let's talk about Jesus. Um, what a guy. Um, what, and some of it's come out in conversation, you know, we've sort of, you know, talked about, some of the cultural things that we've seen in church, in masculinity, but then we don't quite see that in Jesus. So I wouldn't mind hearing from some of from you guys, what are some of the wonderful um, characteristics of Jesus that just give you such hope and comfort and like, oh, encouragement as a man? What is it that you see in Jesus, you know, when he did certain things or how he was that you just think, oh, Yes, that's true and good and beautiful. I'll go first. I, there was something that I came across recently um, that like did that, made me feel really good. Um, I can't even remember what passage it is. I wish I could. Um, Jesus confronts the Pharisees and heals a dude with a withered hand or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, the Pharisees have a crack at him. And after all that, he takes off and calls his 12 disciples around him and spends time far away. And, I, and I've never really seen it before, but um, just the fact that even Jesus, when he, like he, you know, the, mascul the masculine energy is the confrontation and the holding holding the stance, but there's that sort of feminine side where Jesus recognises his weakness, recognises that, you know, he needs others around him and he takes off and finds solitude and, and finds respite with his disciples. And um, that when I, when I look at 
Jesus and his, his life, it's, it's all kind of about balance. He holds both masculine and feminine in balance. Um, he's able to push and, and drive when he needs to, but he's also there um, as, a secure, as a secure, comforting, nurturing um, person when, when he needs to be. Does that make sense? Yeah, look, my, my answer to that would be almost exactly the same thing. Uh, the, the things about Jesus that strike me the most um, are his, his strength and his gentleness. And those two things just shine out over and over and over again. This, this amazing strength of character to, to know who he was and what he was there to do and to do it regardless. Uh, regardless of the cost, and at the same time, a gentleness that has him stop and talk to you know, the least, the lost and the lonely on the side of the road and, and bring something to them that other people wouldn't even think, that wouldn't even see them, just ignore them and walk past them. And yet Jesus took the time to, to stop and be with them. And the whole thing just lived out with this... Um, as I read it, this, this amazing authenticity to, to who and, and what he was. And you know, the theologians argue as to whether he knew everything or whether he, he'd learned stuff along the way. Um, either way, there is this, this authenticity to him in that strength and that, that gentleness that just struck me. And I thought, that uh, is, is what I would like to be like. Uh, I know I'm not. <laughs> but it's different to not being you know, the, the, the leader in, in the church sense uh, because that just, just dumped me with guilt. Uh, to, to be more like Jesus is, is an aspiration. It's something that I want to do uh, because you know, there is an authentic me in here somewhere. If only I can find it. And, and there is some strength and some, some gentleness in me as well, and I, I'd like to see those things grow. So, yeah. yeah, to be honest, I feel kind of weird, like, commenting on, like, again, the masculinity and or the femininity of, of Jesus. Um, I don't know why. Maybe it's just because I'm just questioning, you know, like, what, where's the masculinity coming from, where's the femininity coming from, because I, I guess I don't want to, and it's not to say that anyone else is doing that, but I don't want to, like, say, like, oh, I love that masculinity, you know, side of Jesus, because it's not that the, the feminine space can't be that and vice versa and that kind of thing, but, so it's not, I'm not so much going to say, like, oh, yeah, I like that, that part of Jesus where he showed masculinity, but what I can or I will comment on would be, like, what Jesus chose to do as a symbol of power in his time. So like Jesus, I think Jesus being a man in that time wasn't so much to say that God is a man. I think in order for someone to reveal the very um, loving acceptance of God, father and mother, he had to kind of embody uh, a position of, of power so that he could kind of you know, lead the people in power out of that kind of oppressive way and then lead the people oppressed out of that way and you know uphold the dignity of of, of both because it was never one at the expense of another and so sounds kind of confusing but um anyway but the one that comes to mind is is the women the woman caught in adultery and i think like 
so what he chose to do as a man in that cultural context is this thing that, that is really big for me, not like whether it was masculine or feminine. I think it was just good character. Uh, and the fact that at that time, for a woman to be caught doing that was so shameful. Um, and then, but instead of him standing up and being like, I'll fight all of you, like, you know, like, you know, have a go. Like, I'm not going not, to protect this girl because that's what we think in terms of protection. We're like, yeah, man, I'm going to, like, stick up for my mates and my family and, like, fight. And, like, but it's, like, justice for you but not for them because you're going to hurt someone. And so I guess in that space, Jesus said, well, I'll ask you a question. Like, whoever hasn't ever done anything like that, you can throw the first rock. And then he didn't even throw a rock either. Not to say that he did, who knows. But, um, but yeah, and then the way that he just chose to protect her dignity and at the same time not actually um, take away the, uh, the guys as well. I mean, he shamed them a bit, but he, he didn't say, he didn't actually like full-on like accuse them, he didn't be aggressive to them or anything like that. He was just able to create a third way rather than just like against or like passive or aggressive, you know? And I think, so it's more so that Jesus, as an as a embodiment of the, the power dynamic of the time, from that position, he was able to do something that liberated both sides rather than one at the expense of the other. And I think for me, whether you're a man or a woman, I think that's just good character. And um, so maybe it says more about when you have a position of power or authority, more so than whether you're male or female. Because I think in this day and age, obviously, men probably, you know, probably, definitely, um, I still hold lots of positions of power and oppress women and, and, and that, but I think maybe today, it, it could look slightly different, I don't know, um, but I, I guess the, the point that I want to make is that I think we all maybe in different spaces, especially as Western people, we all hold positions of power, whether we're male or female, and we have a choice to maybe um, do it with good character or not. Yeah, so, yeah. That's good. We might uh, wrap it up there because um, I'm just aware of the time. But before we finish, I'd actually really like to pray um, for all the men and uh, have us women pray for you and just bless you and um, bless you to be uh, the the men that God has created you to be, Um, to bless you to be like Jesus, Um, to bless you to be whole, And to just pray that if there are any spaces and places in your life where stereotypes, whether church or world, have, you know, squashed who you are, that you would be set free um, by Jesus who does set the prisoners free. Is that all right if we do that? So how about all you men, maybe you can just all come and stand in the the centre here and and, uh, gather together. And uh, I might just ask um, um, Becca and Cheryl here.